There are many wonderful people adding to the positive outlook of a backcountry and hunting lifestyle. Our goal is to join them in promoting that outlook. Welcome to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and tactics of our outdoor pursuits. are back, ladies and gentlemen, Backcountry Dreaming Podcast. We've got a great episode tonight. I'm here with Joe, and then also we've got Luke Johnson, owner of Tido Knives. We're excited. We've um, we've got kind of a roundabout story of how we got where we're sitting. We're actually in Luke's house in his basement. We started out at a local Starbucks, and there was probably finals or something going on, and yeah. a lot. there's far too many college students in that location. So Luke in, invited us over to his house. Thanks for inviting us over, Luke. Yeah, yeah no <laughs> problem. This is a much better setting than what we were looking at. Totally, totally. So we, uh, we wanted to just talk a little bit about about hunting tonight uh tell some hunting stories but also hear luke's story and hear about his products that he creates that i know both joe and i and the rest of the contact outdoors team were big fans of Mm -hmm. and if you're listening to this podcast there's a good chance that you either have one of his products or uh or would like to get one so we're going to let you know about how you can get a hold of one and uh yeah just hear a little bit about luke's story so luke why don't you uh, kind of outline just your initial contact with the outdoors and tell us a little bit about yourself. Name's Luke Johnson, like he said, uh, owner of Tito or Tito Knives, whichever way you'd like to pronounce it. Um, <laughs> Which way do you pronounce it? I pronounce it Tito. Tito it is. Um, <laughs> Tito or Tito. Like I said, it, it, it doesn't matter to me. Um, you know, finding a unique name for a company is uh, in, challenge yeah. You know, yeah there's enough talons and uh <laughs> kodiaks and grizzlies out there so right. had to go with something a little different yeah um, so yeah um we are sitting in my house here in plymouth minnesota and i grew up not too far away i was telling the guys before we started here about a mile away um from here in plymouth and uh really my initial contact with the outdoors was was through my dad um you know, I remember particularly one story being about five years old and him dragging me along pheasant hunting in Iowa, <laughs> um, staying in hotels and hiking all day with him and his buddies. And, uh, you know, kind of since then, I've just been tagging along with him and he's still my best friend now. Awesome. Um, yeah. We've done everything from, like I said, bird hunting to deer hunting since i was you know 12 out in the out in the dakotas uh still like to go out there and then uh we fish a lot of bass tournaments too together okay um, nice. so cool. you know he he really got me got me fired up and then um you know i really got into big game hunting after college like really got in deeper i yeah. guess where i'd go go solo go on scouting trips you know just got serious and yep. it and um Mostly west of here. Yeah, um, <laughs> I've killed one deer way. in Minnesota. Okay. Oh wow. So, okay. Um, it's sitting in a tree stand is a struggle for me. I will say. I will totally say that. get that. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I do it a bit in Wisconsin. I got a close friend that uh, has a family farm down in 
southwest Wisconsin. So, okay. So there's some big big yeah. deer down yeah. there and uh missed that, a missed that, a big one this year. Is that driftless then down there? Uh I th- it's pretty close yeah. to what they'd call the driftless yeah. area. It's right off the river. Oh nice. Um nice. so up on top of the bluffs they got, you know, some fields that drop down to the river there. Yeah, that's so. beautiful country cool. down there. Beautiful wow. country and like I said there's some big deer down there. Yeah. So yeah. I've uh I've struggled a little bit. Everybody who hunts down there likes to just shoot what they see, and I've really been holding out for for a big one because there yeah. are some really nice ones wow. down there. So, but yeah. we're getting it set up, so we're going to be bringing our kids there when they're old enough to hunt. That kind of thing. cool, nice. so. awesome, awesome. So I know you've um, you've done some stuff. I know you posted a picture of your dad got a deer. Uh, you got a deer this year. Um, what, what do you kind of, what have you kind of done this year and what do you have in the works for maybe spring or, or next year? Do you have anything going on that you, so for this year, that was, uh, South Dakota. Okay. Um, so this year, I guess I went, did some turkey hunting locally here. I got a couple local public spots. I probably won't talk too much about. No, no. <laughs> um, did some turkey hunting. Then I went out to Idaho in May. I got a buddy who lives out there and, uh, went bear hunting. Okay. Yeah. Um, didn't end up taking home a bear, but learned a lot, saw a lot of bears. Um, next year, we'll have a little bit better plan, I think, yeah. <laughs> uh, get one of those knocked down. Um, and then I went antelope hunting in August, which uh, we talked a little bit about. It was a very successful trip. Um, lots of lots of critters and uh, lots of fun. Yeah, so, awesome. I got one right away, and my buddy uh, ended up missing a few. Like oh. oh man, oh man! That's and right. I don't know what's happening. He is—he's <laughs> one of the best archery shots that I know, and that's not just shooting foam. I mean, yeah, I've seen him kill seven deer in a year. Oh like, no man! Problem. So, huh. and I just never I know. know. It can you, be such an up know. and down thing. He's not a—he's not a real small guy. He's a pretty big dude. Yeah, but he was getting the stock down, and I'd watch him, and he just looked like a mountain lion up there, creep over the hill. <laughs> draw and it just looked like perfect execution on a shot you know i was behind him i yeah. couldn't see what happened he'd look back and be like i don't know so that and then uh i think i talked about i've kind of missed the boat on going back out to idaho elk hunting mm. um the tag sold out faster than i thought and uh, ended up not not making it out there and then um south dakota is where my dad and i ended up shooting a couple bucks uh what was that second weekend in november cool um awesome but the the spot we usually hunt it was very muddy and pretty inaccessible with vehicles so the rest of the crew that goes out there there's a couple guys from michigan that go out there with us and uh they're not as mobile as we are and uh so we threw our kafaru packs on and headed out where nobody else could go so it was pretty fun yeah so ended that's up awesome. packing, nice. packing some bucks out with my dad and that's great you know, that's kind of what it's all about yeah, yeah. totally that's, that's awesome. awesome it's yeah it's interesting you mentioned kafaru because i think i'm pretty sure that's where i came across your product yeah. was i don't know if it was like aaron snyder doing a pack dump or something like that yeah or he was just kind of sharing what he was using at the time and i saw that and i thought man that's that looks like a super good design i've always i had a i've had a pretty serious accident with a folding knife coming closed on me one time um and luckily no lasting damage from that but i but i had used 
beforehand I had used a Havilon and I was always so worried about that coming closed on me uh, in situations. And so when I saw that, I'm like, yep, that's it. And I can't I, imagine the scalpel blade closing on your No, hand. no. Because I've had, either. I know as a kid, you know, like the, the classic Swiss Army knife that doesn't lock. Right. I've had a couple of those come down on my hand. Yeah. But like, uh, you know, one of those number 60 scalpel blades would do some Right. It'd be a serious deal. Um, so, yeah, that I think, and gosh, that must have been, I suppose that was four years ago. Yep, that sounds right. Okay, when did you start? 2015 was kind of when I first started, had my first products out. Okay. Um, and actually, Aaron had seen them on Instagram and reached out to me. Uh, okay. I guess I owe owe a lot to, to him for starting me up. Okay. So, you know, he kind of <laughs> – it was like I was listening to his podcast back when he was with Gritty. Yep. You know, I was kind of starting this, had this idea, finally got a product out put it on Instagram and then like a week later I'm talking to him on the phone. I'm like, dang, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I think any, I think any company, you know, at least for sure starting out, if he, if he says anything about it, you're like, yes, yeah, I made it. It's a good deal. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a good, good deal yeah, to have yeah, that. Yeah. That's awesome. So I know we want to talk a little bit about, why don't we talk about the name? What, what I know you mentioned, you know, coming up with a a name these days. Yeah, you like you're right. Everything's a grizzly or a Kodiak or whatever. But this is a pretty unique name, and I think is it an owl? Yeah, it's a scientific name for like a barn owl. Okay. Yep. And I mean the the thought being is it's ultralight killer. Yep. You know, oftentimes works in the night. Yep. So yep. that's kind of where <laughs> that's great. That's my awesome. brain started going and uh, totally. I thought it was a cool name and something unique that you'd start a conversation yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah. So you started so. out with the originally you started out with just the one knife, but now you've got kind of a products line. So we got our 1.1, yep. which is a stainless steel, the classic handle you've seen yep. um, that accepts the number 60 blades and 22 is mostly what I use. Yep. Um then we have that version Cerakoted, so yep. just giving you some color, functions the same, yep. but everybody really likes the orange. Yeah. So orange and green were kind of my thoughts. You're not going to lose them when you sit down, but you know the orange has been the most popular. Yeah. Um, and then actually I had some sheep hunters, quite a few people reach out to me and ask for something lighter, which to wow. me, I didn't quite <laughs> I understand. I remember when that knife came out. But like just... you need a... This would be really cool if you had a titanium handle that was lighter. And kind of as that was going, I started working with a, another manufacturer. Um, and I was just like, you know, this is what I've heard. Is there, you know, can, what can we, we come up here? with a little bit, a little different design? And uh, yeah, out came the, the, Tito Ti, yeah. Um, so and that weighs under one ounce. Yeah, with a sheet, super insane. light. And uh, but the cool thing, what I do with it usually is I just tuck it in my vinyl harness. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'll put that and a couple blades in the back of my vinyl harness. Yeah. When I'm just running and gunning, or if I drop my pack or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, which is pretty slick for that. And then the Fanon, and now we're on our second version of the Fanon, um, which we just kind of went to a different uh, manufacturing. And the Fanon's just a, a fixed blade, eighth inch thick uh, blades, 
just over three inches long. So, you know, something that you can use to pop bone sockets or just as a camp knife for, you know, you could even split wood with it if you're in a pinch or something like that. So something a little bit more robust if you did need to, you know, do more of a whatever carve job yeah <laughs> carve job or a survival situation or sure, something like sure. that so it's always nice to have something like that in your pack. cool um, and then you do you have a you've got a spoon attachment and then we have yeah. a spork attachment that or, yeah. fits on the 1.1 and the uh ti okay so, and made it long enough so you can get it into a freeze-dry bag without getting your hand too dirty <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> awesome yeah that's huge um, <laughs> yeah, and that was something that I thought about and went back and forth on uh, for a while. Um, you know, I, in the back of my head, I have a sanitary thing going on with it. Yeah. Um, but I think anybody who's out there doing what we do is going to have the brains to to make sure that that doesn't happen. Right. So. Totally. Totally. So. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a super cool lineup. And uh, we talked about this just before we turned the podcast on, is it's cool for us being boys from Minnesota and Chad is as well. Uh, Jeff's originally from Michigan and Cody from, uh, you know, we got guys kind of all over the country, but for the three of us, myself, Joe and Chad being from Minnesota, it's super cool to find Minnesota companies Mm -hmm. that are kind of making a name in the outdoor industry to, to support, you know, it's just, it's just really cool. One thing that I started noticing more and more of your stuff when you started getting involved with local BHA chapter. Right. Um, and that was another thing I kind of thought about, maybe we could touch on a little bit about that is just kind of, kind of not so much where your stance is on political issues and stuff like that, but just more or less like conservation organizations that you do work with or partner with and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, we work with, like you said, BHA, we're, uh, um, I guess I don't know exactly what they called it, but we're a year long sponsor for Minnesota BHA. Um, and then we've done some support with, you know, whether it be, small single events or, or more than that with uh wild sheep foundation alaska oh, nice. in particular we always we always help them with their annual banquet um mule deer foundation we've done some banquets and giveaways and stuff with them cool. um, who else am i missing we've done some ducks unlimited stuff here in minnesota nice. um as far as giveaways on banquets and, and yeah, it seems like you guys are pretty stuff. active in yeah that, and i mean really you know cool. i'm not a lot of it comes to me but i mean that's stuff like ducks unlimited especially as a kid growing up i mean my dad would run the banquets i was going to all that yeah. kind of stuff yeah. so i mean that's very important to me and uh you know the public land is I do I do a lot of recreation on public land and <laughs> yeah. I like to keep doing it. So yeah, if we can sure. support that, that's awesome. Yeah. So Luke, um, one question we had was, and I think a, a few people that I've talked to have wondered, so you started Tito and what was kind of your, what was kind of, what, how did that kind of come to you? Cause it's, it's a really unique, cool idea. Personally, I think it's a better option than any of the other replacement blade options on the market. How did it come to you? So I think it must've been like 2012, 13, I was hunting in North Dakota. My buddy killed a nice big velvet mule deer buck. We were on our way back. We stopped in like Bismarck area or something at a taxidermist. Sat in there and like you do at taxidermist, sat and talked and talked and talked. But um, that taxidermist was telling us that he just carries a regular doctor's scalpel when he's hunting all the time. The same tool he uses, you know, every day at his taxidermy shop. 
So okay. I went home and ordered one. And I was yeah. like, that's a great idea. It doesn't weigh, you know, he had the kind of the same same things that we're all looking at. He's like, it doesn't weigh much. It's always sharp. And I think he was using just the smaller 22 blades. Um, so I ordered one of those and was carrying that thing, you know, for a few years. Um, and every time I'd take it out, I was like, this could be cooler. This could be a cooler product. It could fit my hand better. You know, it could be more of a knife knife. Um and then I just downloaded like a free version of a CAD program and started messing around with it. Um, you know, if you've never done that before, digging into that is pretty dang intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> but after a few days of messing around with it, I, I had a concept and uh, kind of just evolved from there. Once I finally got what I wanted on that program, um, it was just a matter of finding somebody to manufacture. Um, that was the next big hurdle. Yeah, yeah. Um, Cool. So there is some intricate tooling in the retention portion that was a bit of a challenge to find somebody who could do that. Okay. Um, but that's that's kind of where it all started. That's awesome. Did you uh, so you mentioned college? Did you go to school for anything like, uh, like this or did I went to school for economics. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's relatable. <laughs> so very roundabout path. Yeah, uh, yeah. to get here. Uh, yeah, I went to Mankato State University. Okay. Uh, I got an economics degree. Right at the perfect time when everything crashed in 2008 <laughs> was kind of when I had my first job out of college. Okay. And uh, that kind of went down in flames where I was working at there. And uh, yeah. Awesome. So awesome. That's that went crazy. back. Went back to a, went back to like a landscaping job that I had had through high school and all of college, and and did that for a while, and then ended up in the sales field. Awesome. What my what my dad had done. Cool. And. Uh, you know, it allowed, like I've said before, I work out of my house. It allows me a little bit more freedom to do some other stuff. And, yeah. Uh, cool. Like start a start a company. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. So one of the things we talked about a little bit beforehand, too, was just some of the things that your product really helps guys with in the field. And I think specifically, I know for me, and I know Joe wanted to share some a little bit, too, uh, and, and, and if you've got some stories or some things that, that – you know, maybe would be pieces of advice for guys. Um, one of the cool things is just kind of becoming more intricately involved with your animal. And you seem to lean towards that, like you say, more on Western hunts, yeah. where a lot of times, you know, the property that I hunt here in Minnesota for whitetail, I really, I don't have to pack that out. I don't have to disassemble that animal, put it in my backpack and walk out. I can drag it to my truck. Yep. But out West or now, you know, going to Alaska and especially with going to Alaska, learning a lot of the steps towards bringing an animal to the taxidermist has been really cool and and i've seen the necessity for for your knife in that especially in, in right. the guide that i work for as well and he kind of and i'll quote him he said you know this is the best caping tool for sheep that i've ever used in my life and this you know he's a guy that's like i said before he's had his hands on 50 doll rams and he's he's been guiding there for 25 years in the brooks range that's you know awesome so to yeah hear, just yeah. to yeah yeah, to have somebody like that, you know, I didn't know what he he's kind of one of those old school guys where uh and you know, to his benefit, you know, if he he kind of is like if it works, it works and I don't need to change. Yeah. But there's definitely some things I know for the three of us sitting here, uh Chad just pulled in and and we're just kind of gearheads and we like to mess around and tinker yeah, with stuff. Yeah, for sure. And uh It's part of the part of the fun of the yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so to to hear him just I mean I brought mine that year, and I I was I got the the orange Cerakote, and 
and he loved it so much i just gave it to him and he's he's like oh man this is awesome and he he like <clears throat> he writes his last name on every piece of equipment that he has like in a <laughs> marker. A bad idea. Yeah, he's like a really old school dude when it comes to that, and it's cool. But yeah, he immediately gets his marker out and writes his name on it, and uh, so he awesome. loved it. And you know, we talked a little bit too about how it just kind of uh, it it helps you learn the anatomy of animals right. because you're kind of I think for a lot of time I think a lot of times I got myself into trouble early on rushing, yep. and messing up cuts of meat because I did that right. and and that being the worst part of it but then you know obviously you can mess up a hide or do something like that if yeah. you're if you're rushing and you don't have a precise tool right yep. you know and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there with a precise tool cuz it's not that big Bowie knife that everybody <laughs> wants to carry like Crocodile Dundee, right? Right. It's a little, you know, two and three quarter inch blade. Right. But what you really got to do and what my biggest piece of advice was be to let that sharp blade do all the work. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You shouldn't be forcing anything. Right. And like you said on the, like if you're quartering an animal or even if you got it hanging and you're deboning cut meat off you separate everyone you like you know you can find where the muscles are separated and you can just take that little sharp blade and just cut everything away yeah um, that's that was something i was going to hit on you know, you talked about the western hunting and kind of quartering them out and breaking them down as far as for pack outs and stuff but like here in minnesota uh whitetail rifle opener it's always a meat pole yep. where we are and yep. And it usually comes down to the younger guys, me and my brother and a couple of his buddies going out and skinning all the deer and quartering them up and deboning and everything. And I'll run mine, um, I'll run my Tito and just literally just zip through the hides. And when you're, when you're taking the skin off a deer that's hanging, you got, you know, one guy holding one leg out so you can kind of just run your zipper up it. Once you get the zipper up it, you could use a dull blade or whatever to take the skin off, but you can literally take that knife and run your zipper on all four quarters and it takes you two minutes. Yeah, and then from there it's just peel and pluck and take it take it off and then like you said we'll try to run it where the meat's not frozen, lay it down on a table, stick your hand in there and just separate out your muscles and just take the tip of that knife and just slice the end of it. Right, and all of a sudden there you've got a beautiful roast, yep. you've got a sirloin, you've got everything. Yeah, and I think a lot of people get intimidated, especially when I when I tell people who haven't done it before even older guys that have been hunting their whole life that i quarter an animal on the ground in the field they're like what yeah and i mean it's intimidating (laughs) to look at but if you just take a minute and think of how everything works where all the muscle groups are it's it's pretty simple yeah 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 Yeah, Yeah, we just got to kind of take that time and pick it apart and that super sharp knife definitely helped yeah we started out i mean my entire life was drag and even elk Everything up until, I mean, for me, it was up until eight years ago when we yep. when I started quartering them out. And my dad just looked at me, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, you want to drag this thing a mile down this yeah, mountain? I mean, I, no, yeah. we're going to quarter it out. And ever since then, it's like, we shoot one, we can shoot one 100 yards off the trail and, you know, where you can get a wheeler back there or anything. And he's going to say, oh, let's just cut it up. It's going to be a lot that's, easier. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's, so like You're I said do before, eventually. I've been going out to Western South Dakota since I was 12 years old with the same group of guys. And it's... Usually you can get a truck close enough where maybe you'll have a three, four hundred yard drag if it's bad or whatever. But in the past few years, I just, why? Yeah. A 50 yard I just drag cut it all up, put it in the meat bags, whether I have to put it on my pack and hike it a little bit. This year, like it was like a three mile pack 
back, which yeah. is part of the adventure for me. But even if it's you can damn near drive a truck to it, now I have my meat deboned in a bag in game bags cooling right away first right. of all so the meat's getting taken care of as yeah. good as it can be right away and i get back to camp at the end of the night and my work's all done right, yeah. right. so i can you know go through pictures i took that day or you know hang out and do other stuff rather than sit and work on my deer you know yeah. a lot of these guys they take half a next day to work on their deer it's just like mine's done just so, get it done that's another yeah. thing that i like about it <laughs> totally <laughs> about yeah. taking care of them that way yeah so. yeah and and you know and there's a lot of good resources out there now if if you're somebody listening and you're like man i'd love to do some of these western hunts there's a lot of good resources online sure. of how to break down an animal and and it just the next step after that honestly is to get out there and tr- and do it yeah you know just get yeah. out there and and put your take your knife out and start start working and try to be you know try to understand the anatomy a little bit when you go out there but it's it's it ends up being kind of hard to mess it up you really? know at, mm-hmm. you know it at the end of the day it's kind of it kind of makes sense once you get the hideaway and you see that muscle structure and bone structure, it kind of starts to make sense. Yeah, once you, know? you you just need to know what you want right? <laughs> and know what you don't want. Right. Well, yeah, and, that, exactly. and that's a learning curve because everybody right. does it differently. Right. Yep. And I if mean, you do, you know, if you do cut through a, you know, a, a roast or something, it's not the end of the no, world. No, it doesn't. You know? a lot You're of just going to have two smaller roasts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's, it's not going <laughs> totally. to hurt anything. Right. Right. You're and just it, portioning it out. Yeah, yeah and so. depending on, exactly, depending <laughs> on the size of you and your family or whatever, that may be exactly what you need. Exactly. You know? Totally. But, yeah. So, and then um, I know we talked a little bit about the fan and, uh, and you've got the 2.0. Yep, and being a, a fixed blade option for you know the the you know even a camp knife or whatever, and it's cool to it's kind of cool to have those as a system yes. together. And I know there are some you know what's so nice about about the you know the the original knife that you created is just the ease of popping those blades off and on, and it takes you a second, and you've got a an a extremely sharp right. knife ready to go again. Right. You know, instead of in the he, in the field having to hone a blade back. Yeah. You know, and especially like I know I used uh, I used your knife uh, a lot this year and I used a, a knife by another guy made me a fixed blade that was great. Um but it's just the ease of being able to know that I've just got a few more blades in my pocket. And I can kind of get away with what I need to get away with. Mm-hmm. And if it goes dull, I can just pop a new one on. It's right. such a nice feeling. Yeah, you know? for sure. You know, you're not, you're not going to be sunk out there. No. As long as you have your blades, I suppose. Yeah. Right, um, right. One thing I did do with the fan in was make it out of D2 tool steel. Okay. So it is really hard. Okay. And it keeps an edge really well. Okay. That was kind of, that was one one big thing that I wanted to have when I did have a fixed blade. Okay. So when you bring your fixed blade and your replaceable blade knife out there, you're not, you don't have to bring a sharpener. Sure. Essentially. So yeah. you're going to be able to have a sharp knife for a few days, as long as you're not doing anything too crazy with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it holds an edge really well. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. It's a good. It's a good system. I think. I think it's probably wisdom to have both. And it's funny that you mentioned the sheep hunters with the with the uh, titanium because my my view on all of that long extended, you know, lightweight stuff is like, man, I think about just lose a couple more pounds in the gym. Yep. 
<laughs> like if I lose one more pound in the gym. That my <laughs> my trade-off thought is I bring my, you know, I've got a big camera I bring along yep, to take yep. product photos, take yep. photos of the trip. And then you got your spotting scope and then you got your, you know, you end up with all this other stuff that's so heavy. If you can cut down some of the other stuff. Right. Maybe the stuff that doesn't need to be heavy. Well, and then, right. and I, right. I know who you're talking about that mentioned that he wanted a lighter knife and, and just – I kind of know how he runs his system and the way he runs his system. He gives up a lot yeah. already. Yeah. So, it, yeah, I can see saving a few Just ounces so you can actually bring a stove bit, yeah. maybe uh, or yeah. something like Especially that. Especially with the so. camera stuff. It seems like a lot of guys are running camera gear now. And it's one of those things where they're, they're even as light of options as you can get for the quality that they're able to produce, it, they're still heavy. Yeah. Yep. In the backcountry yeah. world, those, they're still yeah. super Yeah, I mean, heavy. when I bought a full-size camera... I was just, I put it in my pack and it was kind of disheartening. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, it oh man. Yeah. So I'm going to have this with me all of the time. Right. Because right. I'm not going to leave it. Right. You know, right. it's going to be in my pack. I right. mean, that's, it's so worth it when you get down, when you get to the end of your trip, whatever, and you have all your photos. It really there. is. Yeah. You know, I'm always taking product photos and that kind of stuff too, but yeah, it's, uh, it's heavy stuff. And then like a spotting scope, I mean, the last hunt I was on with my dad, if we didn't have a spotting scope, he wouldn't have gotten his deer. Not right. that deer. We might have found another one, but sure. no. it was an essential piece of yeah. piece of gear to bring. And so. that's not light at all. It's Spotter, not light. They spotters don't, are the they just biggest don't, pain in the butt. They don't make, there's not a light option. <laughs> no. You can buy one of the really small ones, but then you don't really have the range. The no. Right, right. You just, you gotta, you gotta haul it. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. That's awesome. So, um, one thing it'd be cool to talk about is I know you've 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 had some adventures. What uh, what are maybe a couple adventures or things hunts that really stick out to you as just super good memories? Uh, things that you know I know you've mentioned with your dad, kind of being the best of the memories is going out with your father. Yeah. But uh, what are a couple things that you kind of look back on and you think, man, that the these one or two things are probably the the coolest things I've done. Probably that. That buck right there. Yeah. For anybody that can't um, see, there's a beautiful full velvet mule deer kind of right above us uh, by by Luke's desk, and it's a really nice one. And he's got like an elf ear. Yeah, he's got a cut, a, <laughs> cut he's ear. He's got a cut ear on his, on his right side pretty good. Um, I mean, that's to me, that's, that's cool and that's meaningful. Um, first of all, I've really been infatuated with mule deer and – to a velvet mule deer. Yeah. Um, I've had some options, you know, had some, had some chances going after them and never capitalized on a big velvet mule deer. But I, I did a lot of work. I went scouting, uh, like three trips before I went hunting and found that, that buck in June and, uh, just kept tabs on him. Put, uh, put some trail cameras up, uh, in his area. And just for, for three whole days when I was just, Camping out and scouting, I was kind of living with them okay. in June. So it was like 90 degrees, and you know I saw them every day. Um, got super close to him unintentionally a few times <laughs> and just kind of found where he lived in the middle of the summer. And um, the second day of the season, I ended up shooting him. Right. That's cool. awesome. That's, um, that's, that's a beautiful It is a huge mule deer. Yeah, it's pretty awesome cool. Deer. I have – where am I? This is kind of cool. I know I know we can't see it, but I have two of his sheds. Oh crazy. Oh, nice. That's awesome. So that was two years before I killed him, and that was the year before I killed him. 
Wow. And but all deer... found on the same trip when I ended really? when I shot yeah. that deer. Yep. In the wow. same little drainage. He was just living in one steep, crazy little drainage. Yeah. Crazy. That Sounds is awesome. super cool. So that was pretty cool. I did a lot of work. And actually, so my dad ended up, he was hunting with me on that trip. So he wasn't actually with me when I shot him, but he was like hunting a half a mile away on the other side. So Right when I watched him tip over, I ran and grabbed my dad. So That's cool. We got to kind of <laughs> go down there and take all the pictures and retrieve them together and That's cut them sweet. up. That's so, so cool. So that, that was a pretty special hunt. Wow. And so um, take us through, you So you said on the second day. So did you see him the first day? The first day I did not see him. Okay. So I just knew the little, it was like a steep little cut. You know, it's Badlands type country, but yep. really steep little cut where I had seen him scouting. He okay. was just hanging around in that area every day and uh, was kind of going out beyond that um, and just glassing a big open feeding area where all these bucks would come out of these drainages and feed and go back every day. Um, so I was watching a bunch of other bucks, but he was really the one that I, that I was I was looking at. So anytime I would kind of try to time it when I know he'd be out, when I would go by that other drainage and yep. I would just peek in there. It wasn't really a spot where you could sit in glass because it was really tight. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, on the second day, I was back at camp over lunch because those are such long days in September, September 2nd. We were back at camp at lunch and – Two of the other buddies that were kind of in our group were, what did they say? They were doing a 75-yard challenge, shooting their bows. Okay. <laughs> and I saw them doing that. I was like, yeah, I want in on this. Yeah. You know, I shoot my bow pretty much every day, and I, I shoot pretty far. Um, so I stepped up and shot the 75-yard challenge, hit like three perfect bullseyes in a row, and I was like, I, I'm feeling pretty confident. Um so I was going to hike out to my glassing spot. My dad peeled off, and I was just going to go. Knew I was walking by that drainage. Went and walked by that drainage, dropped all my stuff, and just crawled up to the edge of it just to make sure I didn't blow him out of there or anything and to see if he was in there. And sure enough, he was bedded. Oh, <laughs> bedded right under one single pine tree in the middle of that drainage. And I got my rangefinder out, really steep angle. He was at 76 yards. Oh, man. <laughs> I said, I think I can make the shot. Yeah. Because I just took it. Yeah. Crawled back, got my bow. I actually ended up putting my camo and a face mask on because I was just hiking out in a T-shirt because I had a pretty long hike. And uh, have a, like a four-pin slider sight. Okay. And just dialed my pin into, I think it was 76.3. Yep. Shot him right in his bed. He wow. Went about 15 yards, and that was it. Dude, awesome. that is cool. That's awesome. So cool. did he was he was bedded facing you? He was or, bedded facing So you yet. just, all you had to do is just, you didn't have to maneuver around him at all. You just, he's right nope, there. No, it was perfect. It's just, it was such a steep cliff when I first poked over. He was just bedded facing me, but not looking at me. Yeah. yeah. Just so facing me, just kind yeah. of looking. Yeah. Looking straight into the hill or wow. whatever. And uh, yeah, it was he was just kind of not perfectly broadside, but just barely quartering away. And I know a lot of guys don't like to take those shots on bedded deer, but you could see, you know, they're in that they got those slick coats in the yep. in the summer, and you could just see exactly where his vitals are. And uh, dude, that is so cool. People don't realize too. I know, you know, a lot of people probably listen to to podcasts guys that shoot at distance and have shot at distance on animals, but it's so interesting 
and I haven't shot super far on animals very often. But yeah. it what one weird thing about it is that when you're practicing on maybe a 3D target at 60 or 70 yards, the 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 difference in just your outlook when you pull back on a real animal is so weird. It fe- it feels like a real animal at 60 yards is at 80. Yes. It's just like, oh my gosh, it's so far. Like in South Dakota, I shot a mule deer at 61. And I remember he was kind of coming up this drainage. And I came around to kind of cut off at an angle, cut off where he was going. And yeah. luckily when I got kind of behind these rocks, he was just had his head down and he was, he was brushing, you know, he was rubbing on some brush. And he was kind of quartering away. And it was the same thing. I, I, I ranged him. It was 61, 61, 61. I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah. yep. And drew back. And when it, when I when I was ranging him, it looked like 61. But when I drew back and started to settle my yeah. pin, it looked it's a lot true. further it's pretty than far. That. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, I know that feeling. I almost feel like there's a comfort zone from like 50 to 60 yards. Going past that's a pretty long shot. Yeah. But I just feel like animals are calmer. Yeah. They're yeah. less likely to make a big move. I mean, you know, trying to shoot like a whitetail or something at anything past 45. <laughs> it's pretty it's risky. a risky shot. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, a mule deer, it just seems like they're more calm too. Yeah. They can yeah. almost sense you if yeah. you're too close. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah. It. Yeah. That's, that's cool. That's Especially if you're going to hunt, if you're going to hunt, that open country style hunting with a with a compound bow, I feel like it's uh, beneficial for you to be able to shoot, you know, 50, 60, yeah, 70. Yeah, for days. sure. I know Joe and I have both been out west some, but it sounds like just meeting you tonight kind of for the first time, you've been out doing a lot of stuff. And it's cool to kind of find another guy in this area who has yeah. been out and does that because – you know, it's not like, you know, you, you talk about being able to work, you know, out there a little bit and be able to scout a little bit there. But for guys like us who live in the Midwest, we got a really, we've got a whole new set of issues laid out in front of us when we think about trying to be consistently successful when we go West, because we can't just go to our spots all the time. And like you said, I mean, you had the opportunity to see where this guy lived and you could watch him and you know, for, for, for most guys in the Midwest, being able to leave home and you only have so much time you can be gone and then go out there and try to figure it out within a small time. And it's so tough. It's so tough. Just like you said, to try to go out there and figure it out while you're hunting. Yeah. Even in places where I kind of know, know where the animals are and know what's going on. Kind of, I still try to get out there, even if it's for two days. Yeah. Even if it's for, you know, a whole day of scouting. Yep. If you can just cut off that first two or three days of your hunt, yeah. trying to figure out what's going on, and you can start hunting on day one, that's huge. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd say that's a big thing to the success that I've had hunting yeah. Yeah. out west, and I try to keep it as close as here to I can, as yeah. I can, <laughs> yeah. if that makes sense. <laughs> right, totally. So, I mean, if I can hop in my car and drive 10 hours right. and go on a trip and then, you know, that's where I'm hunting. That's great because right. then I can get out there one or two times. Sure. So, yeah. 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 I think you. I think you have a good point. For the first time, we're going out west. Um, figuring it out is just part of the process. Right. And they get that, and they go out there with that attitude of you know whatever. If we get out here, we see an animal, it's a success. I think it gets worse the longer you go out there. 
if yeah. you're trying to figure it out on the first, because I know for me, if I go to a new area, I feel pressured to yep. like hurry up and figure this out yep. so that I can get an animal. And then down. you're rushing around, you're doing stupid stuff. And you, I mean, you're blowing stuff out. When we were young and green and started going out to like North Dakota, doing that the mule deer hunt earlier, and if we, I mean, it would be noon, and I would just be stir crazy and be like, "Let's go hike down this." Yeah, you know, let's yeah. go hike down this drainage. Like, why? Why would you do that? Yeah. You're just wearing yourself <laughs> out, blowing everything out. I mean, you know, you didn't yeah. know what you're doing. You right. just it is taking that time and spending. But if you can spend time before you go out there to go hunting, I think yeah. that's huge. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, or even just committing yourself to spending that first day just sitting back and watching. I right. Think it's, I think that makes a huge difference. Which is hard, especially, you it know, is. Yeah. these days everybody's training all the time. They're getting ready to go pack in 10 miles or yeah. whatever. It's just like, well, if it's a, <laughs> if you hiked a mile and you can see good country, you should probably just sit down. Yeah, you should check that area. See, see what happens. Totally, yeah. totally. Because they're not going to... They're not going to jump out and kill themselves <laughs> and stand right. in front of you. Exactly. No, but I, it is. I think it is funny because, like, I mean, like on my trip last year, my elk trip last year, we got into elk 300 yards away from where we parked on the mm-hmm. on the way back, coming back out after being in for eight nine days. Yeah. And yeah, it's they can be anywhere. Oh yeah. It's yeah. If you see good country, stop. Yeah. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, we, we want to just maybe just wrap up tonight with, and and again, we appreciate you joining us. It's been really yeah, cool. It's been not sure. only cool to learn about Tito, but learn about you and just the things that you've done. And that's kind of what Contact Outdoors is. Hopefully we try to focus in on that yeah. because I think there's, we've kind of all believed that there's a lot of really awesome, unique people out there doing super cool things that not large groups of people get to hear about. Right. You know, there's a, we kind of know of the celebrities in our, in our industry and in this world, but, uh, in the outdoor world, but there's, there's so many people. I, Joe, we, Joe and I have talked about this before where we'll find somebody on Instagram who has like 10 followers, but you look at their Instagram (laughs) and you're like, they're doing this person is a killer. I mean, this person kills like a massive bear every year, a massive elk every year, and and nobody knows their name. You know, knows even who they are. You know, and so to kind of hear, you know, about Luke, the guy behind, you know, this awesome product is cool. You know, because really, that at the end of the day, this whole thing that you've created came from your love and drive for the outdoors and hunting. Oh, you know, that's hundred percent. Yeah, so yeah. it's cool to yeah. it's cool to hear that, and we appreciate you. Kind of you backfired know. a little bit in that I have less time <laughs> to go do what I do on it. Sure, but, totally, totally. But, yeah. uh, I get to you know I get to meet awesome people like you and people who enjoy to do the same thing that I do, and yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Definitely yeah. cool. Well, guys, um, just for the listeners, we will put in the show notes the website for Tito so you can go on and check out and see what Luke's up to and, and what he's created there. And, and, you know, I know both Joe and I would recommend picking up, uh, for sure. I know I don't have a fan in yet, but I definitely, we both have used the replacement blade knives that, that Luke's created in there. Just incredible. pick up two, do yourself a favor. Yeah. Just pick up two. Up Cause you'll end up give, yeah, you'll <laughs> give one away. Uh, but that, I, I mean, I just, with the stuff that I've experienced and done, that should be a part of your kill kit, yep. you know, for yep. sure. Not much of a weight penalty. No. And, uh, might no. as well just have one. No, right. like Luke said, I I 
pull mine apart and I keep mine in my bino harness mm-hmm. in yard, you would never know it's there. Nope. Right. Yeah. And then also your, uh, also, uh, Tito's Instagram. Yeah. We can kind of throw that on the show notes as well. So you can kind of see, um, and you're a pretty good photographer too, just looking at some of your images and some of the stuff that you've done just on your personal page. Yeah, it's fun. It's awesome. It's so, uh, something I really like to do and another thing that I don't have enough time to do. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, that one, and that one costs you money it instead does. of makes it you does. money, right? It yeah, does. Yeah, that's an expensive world. So yeah, if, um, if you're out there and you're looking for kind of a – a tool that that is kind of a necessity that we've looked at and we think is a necessity. It's that's de- definitely one of these knives. And uh, if you need any information, you can reach out to Luke on on his Instagram, or you can reach out to us, and we'll kind of point you point you to him. But yeah, man, thanks again for joining us. Is there anything else that you that you wanted to? I think that's cover? that's about it. It's been a it's been a good time. Yeah. Cool. I always appreciate it. So. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for thanks for joining us, and we'll see you on the next episode. Contact Outdoors crew would like to send out a sincere thank you to all of our listeners. The Backcountry Dreaming Podcast is brought to you by Contact Outdoors and directed by Brian Holberg. Original music and audio production by Dakota Rankin. Connect with us online. Links to our website, Instagram, and Facebook can be found in the show notes.